Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Amy B. Share. Amy is the best-selling author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can and two other books about humaning and healing. As an expert in mind-body healing, she is often lovingly referred to as an accidental guru. Her work has been in CNN, CBS, Washington Post, Cosmopolitan, The Rumpus, Los Angeles Review of Books, and more. Amy's books have been translated into 13 languages. Amy currently lives in New York City with her beautiful wife and bad cat. Most importantly, she lives by her self-created motto, when life kicks your ass, kick back. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for having me here. So we're going to talk about your book, which I was telling you before I started recording that I absolutely love. Um, I thought it was such a great book on energy healing and really made a lot of sense. It gave people really practical tools that they can use and integrate in their own lives. They don't need to wait for someone else, I guess, hence the title, Heal Yourself When No One Else Can. Uh, and it was just great. So can you tell us briefly your story? Sure. So my, I've gotten a little bit better over the years telling my story briefly. And let's see how <laughs> how much, how practiced I am. Ready, go. So, <laughs> yes. so I had, um, starting in the year about 2000, started having a lot of physical health problems. And over the years, so I started having a lot of physical problems. I was in my mid to early 20s. I started having issues with balance, and really was on a mission to find out what was wrong with me and jumped from doctor to doctor to doctor, trying to figure out what, why my body was sort of, I always say, falling apart. And I tried many different treatments. I got many different diagnoses, none of them which solved my problems, essentially. And at some point, years down the line, I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease and apparently, unbeknownst to me, I had been bitten by a tiny tick that transferred a bacteria into my body and gave me Lyme disease. Now, many people know about Lyme disease as, you know, a tick, tick-borne illness. You take antibiotics and you feel better. And that is a great outcome if that happens. But there are another subset of people who don't catch it early because it is so hard to identify. It can look like, Lyme disease can look like many things. It started for me, when I look back, as something very similar to the flu. Mm -hmm. I had a fever, I had body aches, it didn't seem like anything crazy. And then if you can imagine, that just went on for like 10 years. Mm. And eventually the bacteria really infiltrated my system. I ended up with nerve damage. I had lesions on my brain that showed up in a brain scan. I was bedridden. I had lost 20 something pounds and I'm only five feet to start with. So <laughs> um, I didn't have a ton to lose. Um, I was in a wheelchair for part of the time. And when I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease, I thought, oh, yay, we finally know what it is. Now, this is the real thing, the real diagnosis. Now, I'll be fine. They'll be able to cure it. But curing Lyme disease um, is like, what do I say in my, in my, I have a memoir and I say it's like climbing Mount Everest in flip-flops is not an easy, an easy uh, chore. And so at 
at the point of having had Lyme disease for so long, it's really, they found it in my bone marrow. I mean, it was affecting my blood cell counts. And so there, the medications and the treatments that were there were not enough for me. And I decided to take this huge leap of faith and go to India for this experimental stem cell treatment that I had, that I had learned about. And against all the judgment of my doctors and many people close to me, I went and I got this stem cell treatment that really rehabilitated my body. Like I arrived there in a wheelchair and I left nine weeks later and I was running through the airport because I almost missed my flight. Wow. And the idea behind the stem cell treatment was that I had had enough treatment and heavy duty antibiotics for enough months that the actual bacteria was probably eradicated to great extent, but the damage that the disease had done to my body, my nerves showed permanent damage. Like I said, there were lesions on my brain. There was nothing for that. And so I went to get the stem cell treatment to help repair my organs, nerves, muscles, and glands that were so damaged. And for all intents and purposes, it worked. I was a different person when I left. And I came home back to California and I went back to living my life as you want to do after you have some, um, you know, illness like that. And I was doing well. And about a year later, things started to slide backwards. And by that time, I was starting to have symptoms again. I wasn't feeling great. I was getting little things here and there. My food allergies were coming back. It was like not to the, not nearly to the same extent as I had been the year before, but it was sort of like the rumblings of something happening. And at that point, what I realized was that there was some common denominator. Over my life, I had had many different illnesses, chronic Lyme disease being the worst, but I started to realize that if treating the physical body alone doesn't cure the physical body, there has to be something else. Mm. And the only common denominator I could find over the years and over every immune system dysfunction I ever had was me. And I had no other doctors to turn to because I had already been to the best in the United States and flown halfway across the world mm-hmm. with experimental radical treatment. I turned inward and this was really not by any act of self-courage or anything I can be terribly proud of. It was sort of more like, what else am I going to do? Right. And I started really learning about and researching how our emotions, our beliefs, our traumas, the emotional energy we store in our body has a direct and physical impact on our physical, on our physical body. Mm-hmm. And when I started to really address me, that's when things shifted. And eventually, over the course of a year doing work on me, I, I healed permanently and completely. And it's been, 10, has it been 10 years now, and I'm doing well. But it was that inner work. Um, the way that I got into my work is because the inner work that I was reading about seemed so airy-fairy and so far from reachable with my personality. I'm pretty, I'm a Virgo. I'm really down to earth, grounded. And I, I know the feeling. That's yes, sort of how I landed where I landed in the same way, but, but yes. also very grounded. Like, okay, where's the science? Help me understand yeah. this. Exactly. And so when I was researching and exploring different modalities, there's all kinds of energy medicine and healing. And, and I have absolutely no doubt that there are 
there's an abundance of things that worked or work. But for me, I needed to understand it from a a logical standpoint. I needed it to not be so abstract. And the piece that I was able to pick up on and really take in was that by working with stuck emotional energy, repressed emotional energy, that is imbalancing our body's energy system, which is what acupuncture is based on. And I went to acupuncture regularly. So I was like, okay, I can get on board with that. Mm -hmm. We are able to release this burden from our body to help support our immune system, our nervous system, and actually promote and instigate healing. And so that is what I picked out to be my healing journey. Well, and what I love and what you said is when I turned inward, that's when I started to heal. And I think we are so programmed always to look to others to give us answers, to help us. And that that really the journey is inside, right? You have to be willing to look inside yourself. Right. Absolutely. And I can say like, I am not afraid to say it is an, it's annoying to have to do that. I would rather pay any amount of money or go any to any amount of appointments a week to just go and have somebody help me and fix mm-hmm. me and go on my merry way. Because what we're all in a hurry for when we're sick is to get back to life. And really, if we're in a situation that that demands we or we're demanding of ourselves to get back to life, that life that we're desperate to get back to probably wasn't super healthy and balanced in the first place. And that's what I realized was in my rush to get back to life, I was bypassing the thing that would help me build a healthier life, which was doing the inner work, which was turning inward. And the irony is, I mean, I I teach classes and I see clients and people come to me really as a last resort, like nothing else worked. Let me try my emotions. And the (laughs) irony is that that is the cheapest, easiest thing you could do. (laughs) Like once you buy a book for what, $16 or you have X number of sessions so that somebody can support you and help you and teach you like, that's it. You've got the secret now, but we would still rather not do that because it's harder to look at ourselves than to do all of the things to micromanage our lives so that we can avoid looking at ourselves. So in your book, you talk about the distinction between positive thinking and positive feeling. And I think that this is so important for people to hear. hear. This like was one of those hit me in the face moments. Can you discuss what you mean by the difference between those two? Sure. So there is a whole sort of positive psychology movement out there. And there is no doubt that being positive, thinking positive, and feeling positive is beneficial for you. Nobody will debate that. However, most of the people who are sort of in the movement are, and this go, this is sort of on the teacher side and then the client or student side, are insisting that if you have anything but positive thinking, you are, you are um, contributing to your own misery or, or absence of health. Right. Which really, I think, takes away from our humanness. Right. Because it's so and then and then we end up beating ourselves up for not thinking positive all the time. 
Right. And the stress that I hear from clients who have learned about the law of attraction and positive thinking. And, and again, I think all of these things have merit. It's just that if you go too gung-ho and you don't allow for your true and natural feelings to come up, you're not getting to the positive feeling. Now, what I think is more beneficial and what I have seen to be more beneficial is to feel like crap when you need it, but find a way to work through it so you can let go of the uncomfortable feelings, the difficult feelings, the quote unquote, I hate to call them negative, but the negative feelings so that once that's moved out of your body in a healthy way, you will more naturally gravitate toward positive feelings. Forcing positive thinking can really backfire because it takes such effort to basically lie to yourself and say, I feel good, I feel good, I feel good. And what happens is you end up denying how you really feel. And when you deny how you really feel, you suppress it. And guess what? Suppressing any emotion is basically the worst thing you can do. So what I encourage my readers and my students to do is learn how to work through difficult emotions so that you can gain a more naturally positive perspective. And then when you need to feel like crap, feel like crap and, and, and deal with it. But I just, that positive thinking is like, is, it can be very, very dangerous because we can also become paranoid of anything other than that, mm -hmm. thinking that we're attracting something bad. And the fact is that we all have negative thoughts often and not every negative thought attracts a terrible thing. Um, and yeah, I think, I think being human is much more important and much healthier than being perfect, mm -hmm. whether it be thinking your actions or your feelings. Well, and I always say with my patients, I'm, I say it's, if you suppress that emotion, it's like a whack-a-mole. It's going to, yeah. you know, that game, that carnival game, it's going to pop up somewhere else, usually in the form of a symptom. And then you're going to try to whack it back down and it will come up again. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a futile exercise, really. It's exhausting, too. It's exhausting. And usually the thing that we're trying so hard to suppress takes so much micromanagement to suppress that we're actually focusing on it 10 times more than we would if we just felt it and let it move through us. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little about the law of attraction? Because you, the way you explain this in the book too, I also appreciate it. It was sort of from a different perspective of, like you said, any negative thought, people think, oh my God, I'm going to bring negative into my life. Right. And I, and I always joke, I have a friend that, that still sometimes gets nervous about the law of attraction and thinks, I, I keep thinking negatively about this. And I, think, I say as a joke, think of all the positive things you've been hoping for for so long that didn't come true. You're, we're not that good at the law of attraction. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's all of these things that how many wishes or things we've been hoping and trying so hard for and not every single good thing that we want manifests immediately either. So don't worry. Like mm -hmm. it's not it's not that accurate, you know? Um, but yeah, with the law of attraction, I mean, I feel like it's a useful tool because the more positive things that you focus on, the more positive things I do feel like you can draw into your life. But 
I do not believe in the equation of the, the sort of standard equation of what you think about you attract. I think it's beneficial to think positive when you can, and that can only benefit you. But I also think there are other things at play. And I don't know, maybe, you know, law of attraction teachers would say I'm naive and I'm missing out. But I think that there's more universal aspects of, at play. There's willpower at play. There are other things that create our reality, I believe, than just our sole intent and focus on what we want that reality to be. Like, I think we're powerful human beings, but do I think we're so powerful that we can override destiny and free will? And I, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. So, you know, I think alignment with what you want in conjunction with whatever's playing out in the universe behind the scenes that we can't see, all of those things combined help to create our reality. But I always tell people, don't worry. Luckily, we're not that good that every negative thought's going to bring a negative thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's freeing for people. And I also think a lot of times we think that we are putting out into the universe that this is what we want on a conscious level. And subconsciously, we may be resisting that in some way that we aren't even fully aware of. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, my general feeling about the law of attraction is if you can use it in a way that's helpful, great. I think it's a great tool. If you're using it to sabotage yourself and beat up on yourself, not helpful for you. Skip it. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't think, I think you can unsubscribe to that and, and be okay anyway. So let's talk a little about fight, flight, or freeze, because I think it is so, we're, we're recording this in COVID. So if people come back and listen to this at a later time, that's sort of where we are in this world right now. Um, but you talk about the response from a physiological perspective and an energetic perspective. So can we kind of go over both of those? Because I don't know that people fully understand the physiological response or the energetic response to it. Mm -hmm. So essentially, I see them as intertwined, but when you go into fight, flight, or freeze, there, there is a physiological response, an increase in adrenaline, in hormones, in um, insulin is, is, is made in a sort of a, a different way. Your, your autonomic nervous system is reacting. Your heart can race. Your body temperature can change. There's a lot of things that happen when you go into, in my book, I call it freak out mode you know, fight, which is fight, flight, or freeze. Energetically, what happens is the, the energy, you know, energy flows through all our organs, muscles, and glands. And when we go into fight, flight, or freeze, what happens is the energy is sort of stolen out of or borrowed from some of our organs, muscles, and glands. The flow that normally goes through our organs, muscles, and glands sort of stop, slow down, or is stolen in or borrowed in order to fuel this, this adrenaline response, this mm -hmm. fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, flight, or freeze is meant to keep you in survival mode. It's meant to keep you alive. And what happens energetically and physically is that your body decides when you're in fight, flight, or freeze that the only important thing is for you to be alive and be able to fight, flight, or freeze. It doesn't think that digestion is important. It doesn't think that, um, you know, being able to deal with your emotions is important. So your body systems actually lose or lack the flow of energy that keeps you feeling good. 
Now that's, again, this is like the law of attraction. No reason to fear if things go wrong temporarily, you know, just like those, you know, few negative thoughts or whatever, no big deal if you go into fight, flight, or freeze. But if you stay in fight, flight, or freeze for a long period of time, imagine that all of the energy from your, or a, a large portion of energy from your digestive system, your liver, your um, immune you know, system, your immune system is borrowed long-term to be able to keep you in this crazy hyped up state, what's going to happen to your digestion over time? You're probably going to be nauseous, maybe constipated, maybe have diarrhea. I mean, these are the problems that I see all the time. And so what energy work is about is restoring the energetic flow that fight, flight, or freeze cut off so that all of your organs, muscles, and glands can then get their energy back and continue to function. Does that help? Mm-hmm. So- and that stuff's intertwined. What's happening physically and energetically, the idea is that that um, that imbalances happen in the energy system prior to the physical body. And so if you go back and work with the energy system, you can restore the physical function by restoring the energy flow. Well, and I think people use these words and they don't even realize that they're referring, they, they think they're referring physically, right? You say my energy is so drained or, um, you know, things along those lines. And then not recognizing that it is actually your energy that's drained and physiologically you've you've drained yourself. Yes, absolutely. Because you can't stay in that state long-term without sacrificing function in your body. Your body just, your body simply can't do it all at once at that level. And so your body chooses, it switches on fight, flight, or freeze, and switches off the other um, valuable, you know, processes that are happening in the body. Well, yeah, and I think what's so important for people to realize in this is that we we weren't wired to have high levels of stress. We were we were really wired for fight, flight, or freeze, and then just going on our merry way. And I think now we're so obviously in this moment in particular, but also in general, like our stress response is normally a fight, flight, or freeze response. It doesn't feel like there's a middle ground anymore. So, so many of us are in these, these um, chronic state, these chronic feelings of stress. So our immune system, so our whole systems are depleted in that way. Absolutely. And the, and the way that, that my work and that I help people come out of that is by releasing the underlining causes of the fight, flight, that constant fight, flight, or freeze reaction to then send the energy back into the immune system, back into the body to restore the flow. And in that state, you're in healing mode. And that's how people end up coming out of chronic illness is they go from chronic energy depletion to a... a, a consistent energy flow again and their organs, muscles, and glands start to be able to repair themselves. So what is the triple warm meridian that you talk about in this? Because we're really dealing with meridian systems, right, in in energy healing. So can you talk a little about meridian systems and the triple warm meridian? 
Yeah. So the meridians are energy pathways in your body that sort of govern different muscles, glands, organs, and such. And the triple warmer, you can think of them as like rivers running in different directions or wires in your body. And depending on what they, where their energy runs through, um, that's the, that's the sort of path of energy flow they are responsible for. So for instance, there is um, the stomach meridian runs around the eyes, down the neck, through the breasts, and down through the stomach. Many people who have sinus issues also have stomach issues and vice versa, because that meridian or that pathway is responsible for the energy flow through all of those areas, which means if there's a kink in one part of it, like a hose, it's not going to get to the other part. So if you have an energetic kink or a blo- an emotion blocking your stomach, it's going to reduce flow to your sinuses. And when you don't have enough flow in your sinuses, you may start to have imbalances there and symptoms there. The triple warmer meridian specifically governs the fight, flight, or freeze um, you know, reaction in your body. So I think even though the triple warmer meridian is just another energy pathway, it, it, I think of it as its own system. Mm. Because if the flow in the triple warmer meridian gets screwed up, it can kind of send everything haywire. Mm-hmm. Um, triple warmer meridian can really, really affect the nervous system. It really affects the neck. Almost everybody with neck and shoulder problems is going to have a triple is going to have a fight, plate, or freeze issue. Um, and so that that you know that's just sort of the tie-in between the meridian and the the physical body, but it's also intertwined. So let's get to some of your steps to healing uh, and how you work to engage the subconscious in that healing. Because it's a, it's really about getting to the, I don't know what percentage it is, a pretty high percent, 95 or something, 99% yeah, yeah. of, of our our brain is like subconscious. I'm having a brain speaking of brain. I know. Yeah. It's most of our lives are actually run by our subconscious mind. Thank you. Exactly. And so can you talk about how you engage the subconscious subconscious in the process of healing and then some of the techniques that you use that are really, really simple for people to integrate? Definitely. So the subcon this was a this was a tricky thing that I learned. So I feel like I, you know, I was always into psychology. My dad was a therapist. Like I felt really good at like being self-aware. I was, I think I mentioned pre-recording, I'm a Virgo. So like very analytical, very self-aware. Really interesting because when I went to actually do the healing work, so much of so many things didn't make sense. Like I didn't grow up in a terribly traumatic, like with terrible trauma. I had two loving parents. My mom jokes that, you know, they loved me so much. I became claustrophobic. Like, I mean, I grew <laughs> up in a, in a fair, you know, ever we had our problems like every family, but I certainly wasn't neglected, abused, no, nothing that you would think of as trauma. But what happens is that the information we have about what is holding us back emotionally or what is being suppressed emotionally is not always something we're aware of. It's in our subconscious mind. And and the problem with this is if we're not aware of it, we can't heal it. 
And when people go to therapy for 20 or 30 years and they're talking only about the things that they're aware of and they're not going to a therapist who uses intuition or helps them use intuition or helps them kind of look deeper than what they already know, we can end up just regurgitating the same narrative over and over and over based on what we know could have quote unquote screwed us up. And I say that very lightly. Mm So, so for me, um, I learned some techniques to sort of tap into the subconscious mind and your subconscious mind is actually a tape recorder of everything that's ever happened in your life. And when I learned to, to sort of use my intuition and use these tools to see what information I hadn't yet been aware of, that was a huge jackpot for me because I was able to realize that I was believing some very unhealthy things. I mean, I can tend to be a perfectionist. So one, and I think a lot of listeners will probably relate to this. So one of the things I had very, like I mentioned, I had very loving parents, but, but in, because of who I am and how I, how I sort of twisted having loving parents, I was always really afraid to disappoint them Mm -hmm. because they always made me feel like I was perfect. Like I was wonderful. Like I made them so happy, all good things. But what can happen in our brain is we twist the, we, we create our own meaning. And my meaning was I have to be perfect to be loved or I have to be perfect so I don't upset anybody else. And I was a very sensitive child, always worried about upsetting other people. So this was something that I only discovered once I really started tapping into the subconscious mind. I was not aware. I was, of course, I was aware of being a perfectionist. I thought I just liked things perfect. I didn't realize to what emotional extent, to what emotional burden I was carrying. So in essence, I was going through life as I think, I suspect many people who are listening right now are going to go, oh my gosh, are going through life thinking that I had to be perfect to be safe, to be loved, to keep everyone else happy. And the pressure of that, I believe, was one of the things that that helped to um, really stress out my immune system. Now that's not neglect, that's not trauma, that's not any of the things we read that, you know, we learn about can can cause a breakdown in the immune system. So, so I created a technique called the sweep technique, like a broom. And it's very specific wording that somebody repeats. It's super easy. You can read it out of the book all by yourself. And the wording helps tap into the subconscious mind and gently encourage it to let go of this old belief or perspective. And the old belief or perspective in this example would be, I need to be perfect to be safe, or I need to protect others in order to, you know, to keep everything okay. Mm-hmm. And either pages and pages of examples in my book, but, but, but in my life, releasing that made an absolutely huge difference, not only in how relaxed and happy I was, but in my immune system and how I felt because that huge weight was lifted off of my body. So the sweep technique is one where you simply fill in the blank of whatever energy, thought, perspective you want to release. And then toward the end of the script, you simply fill in the blank with what you want to install. So my install in that script would be, I can be safe even when other people are unhappy. Now, 
what you're doing when you're reading the sweep script is you're reprogramming the subconscious. It's been mm-hmm. my subconscious had been living by this, the rule for 30 something years that when other people are unhappy, I screwed up and I need to fix it. That's mm-hmm. essentially, and there, you've heard me, you've heard me describe this problem in many ways because there's probably many ways that my, my brain and body read it. But essentially what happened was when I reprogrammed that, I became so much more relaxed. I became less focused on what was bothering everybody else and having to fix it. And can you see where the stress of having to fix things constantly and micromanage everyone else's emotions would eventually, after many years, cause a continuous um, fight, flight, or freeze Mm -hmm. react? Right, because you're in a heightened state of trying to read everybody else and how they're responding to you. Exactly. And had I, had I not really learned to look in the subconscious mind, I'm not sure I would have put all that together. Not only that, but you need the technique to reprogram the subconscious mind. It's typically not enough just to tell your subconscious mind, change this. I want to stop worrying about everybody else. There's a retraining process. And the sweep technique that I created is the retraining process for that. And it's so easy. I use it with little kids. Like it's so easy. You can't go wrong. The worst thing that ever happens to anybody is they fall asleep because it's so, um, it sort of bypasses the conscious mind and it clears at a deep level. So sometimes people fall asleep on me. Um, Mm -hmm. But other than that, I mean, you could use it as many times a day as you want for whatever you want. Yeah. And some of the other things that you talk about, which I actually, as soon as, as soon as I read this, I was like, oh, I could do this every morning um, is the thalamus tapping and the eight figure eye trace, Uh figure eight eye trace. Yep. So the, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, can you just um, speak to those quickly? Sure. So so the thymus gland, and people always think I'm saying sinuses, like when you have a sinus infection, oh. but the thymus gland, T-H-Y-M-U-S, is behind your breastbone about an inch below where a bow tie would sit on your neck. So if you touch that little notch on your neck and you go about an inch down, there's a very slightly raised area in your chest. Your thymus gland is behind that. And essentially... Tapping on your thymus gland helps to release stress, and your thymus gland is the master gland of your immune system. So it also rebalances your immune system and helps your thymus gland create white blood cells, which are which are beneficial for your, your immune system. So tapping that during times of stress can actually help release the stress. That thymus gland is not only, you know, your immune system, but it's energetically linked to the rest of your body. So tapping it gently with your fingertips, or I'd say medium pressure, releases stress and helps boost your immune system. So that's one of the techniques I teach people. And again, that one, kids can do that as well. The eye tracing is simply a way of helping the energy pattern in your body go in the direction that it should for beneficial health, which is an, a figure eight pattern. That's actually the pattern of our DNA, figure eight. So by tracing around your eyes with your fingertips in a sideways eight, you actually enhance that positive beneficial healing pattern. And this actually really helps your brain and helps you think too, because you're doing it you know, around the eyes and sort of on the frontal lobe of the brain. But those are super, super easy techniques. And all that, I mean, I hope you agree, Amy, but all the techniques in my book are easy because when I didn't feel good, I couldn't use most of the techniques out there because I didn't even have the wherewithal to start figuring out these 30-step techniques. So the techniques that I created 
had to be simple for me to use because if I didn't use them, I wasn't going to heal. And when I went to write the book, these are all the techniques that I use to heal myself. And I really, really have the goal of just keeping it simple because when things are too overwhelming and we're already in fight, flight, or freeze, forget it. We're not going to be able to do it. These things can be done in five to 15 minutes a day. Well, and that's what I loved about it. I've done tapping EFT, some people call it EFT tapping, um, with an energy healer that I work with. And sometimes I'm like, this is great. And other times I'm like, oh God, can this just end already? Like I don't, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. And I know it's people use it and have huge success with that. But some of the other things that you talked about felt really doable for me just to wake up in the morning and and it, as I meditate, you know, after that to do the the thymus tapping, the figure eight thing, just to get myself aligned for the day. And it just felt like, hmm, this is something I could do and this is something I could manage. Yes. And sometimes it's just about how you learn it. It's really interesting. We talk about EFT, tapping emotional freedom technique. I had learned that years and years ago. And I went to a I went to an energy healer who did the tapping on me, didn't explain what she was doing. And I was like, what is this weird thing? I thought it kind of helped, but it seemed really complicated. And now it's one of my favorite techniques, but I feel like people who teach it overcomplicate it. Basically it's tapping. And at the same time, we have so many thoughts. We have a constant narration in our head about how crappy we feel and how mad we are and a blah, 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 blah. I tell people, tap through the points and talk out loud like you're complaining to your best friend. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's not complicated. You can't do it wrong. If you have thoughts in your head, you know what to say when you tap. So I think it's also the presentation. I mean, my personality is such that if it's too difficult, I won't do it. So I think that I sort of made everything easy. But in that way, maybe I'm not doing it perfect, but at least I have a chance of it working because right. it feels easy to do. You don't need to get out. the. Once you learn it, you don't need to like have the book open while you're doing it. It's very, very simple. Right. And that's how it, it's been taught to me too, is very, very simple for whatever yeah. reason. It Great. just... It, just, it doesn't resonate. <laughs> and, and that's fine. And the thing is, you just use what techniques resonate for you. That's, I mean, you don't need them all. You only need one or two to help you feel better. Right. And so if people are interested, where can they find you? Where can they find your books? I'm sure on Amazon, if you can get it right now, right? <laughs> it, yes, I think they are still, still delivering books right now. <laughs> so my website is www.amy, A-M-Y, be like boy share s c h e r dot com, and um, all my books are on Amazon. I have How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can. There's a follow up called How to Heal Yourself from Anxiety When No One Else Can, and then I have a memoir, which is my story, my personal story of healing. And next year, I have the I think the last in the series, How to Heal Yourself from Depression When No One Else Can. Wow, you're busy. Thank you. Yeah, I, I am. I keep saying after I think I'm one of those people, like I don't have kids, as I mentioned to you, but you know, those people that say, oh, I'm no more kids. And then they go, okay, they forget about it and have another one. I'm like that with books. <laughs> um, so I always go, this is going to be the last one. Um, but yeah, my books can be um, purchased on Amazon. Libraries are, I don't know how accessible now, but libraries are very good at stocking my books. And also I have tons of YouTube videos for free and there's free stuff on my website. So if anybody, you know, just wants to start there. That's also, I give tons and tons of stuff where you can just start simple, see if you resonate and go from there. 
Well, thank you for your time today. I, I really appreciate these insights and hopefully people can kind of take bits and pieces. Hopefully they'll buy your book. I'm going to keep your book next to my nightstand so I can reference it because I think it's really helpful. Thank you so much for having me on today. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Curious about what comes next and what it all means? You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life death, and the space between, and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have, let me know what else you'd love to hear about, or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.